Amen, somebody. Amen. Praise God. Uh, we thank God for our worship team leading us in worship this morning. It's a great gift to sing with you all. For those of you who are new to our congregation, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life. And whether you're joining us from Facebook or newlife.nyc or YouTube or whether you are uh, in the room, it's just a gift to sing and worship with you. At the end of our service, I'll be downstairs with some of our pastors uh, in the lobby area, so if we've never met before, please make your way uh, to us. We'd love to meet you before you head out of this building. We are in a series during the course of Lent uh, called Good and Beautiful and Kind, and if the world is longing for anything, is longing for at least those three words, goodness and beauty and kindness, and uh, last week we focused on powers and principalities, and the week before we focused on sin, uh, talking about the worms that eat away at our society, the worms that eat away at our lives, and those worms, that image comes from a poem that was written by the African-American poet Langston Hughes, in which in his poem entitled Tired, he said, I am so tired of waiting, aren't you? For the world to become good and beautiful and kind, let us take a knife and cut the world in two and see what worms are eating at the rind. And when Hughes talks about cutting the world in two, this is language of discernment, not division. These are language of examination, that until we understand what's happening beneath the surface of our world, we cannot really and truly move towards goodness and move towards beauty and move towards kindness. And so the first couple of weeks, we've been focusing on the worms that eat away at our world. For the next six weeks throughout the course of Lent, we're going to focus on what makes for goodness. What makes for beauty? What makes for kindness? What does it mean to have our lives and our relationships marked by wholeness? And it's with that that I want to talk about our first theme along that trajectory. I want to talk about humility today. What does it mean in our lives to cultivate humility? Because it is humility that moves us towards goodness and beauty and kindness. And today we're going to focus on a particular aspect of humility and I want to say from the very beginning that this is a life message for me because this is a life struggle for me. And some of our greatest messages emerge out of our deepest struggles. And cultivating humility is one of my deepest struggles, which is why this is a life message for me. And I think you'll hear that throughout the course of this message today. But we're looking at Philippians chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse number 1. We'll go to verse 11. Uh, hear the word of the Lord. Paul says, if, there is, uh, if, there, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship in the Spirit, if any affection in mercy, and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but for also for the interests of others. Verse number five, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. Amen. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Somebody say amen. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray that you would now open our eyes and ears and heart, that we would walk down the path of humility that you have created us for, that you have modeled for, that you empower us through your spirit to live according to. And so, Lord, give us grace for our lives as we hear the proclamation of your word today. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. Humility. We're going to talk about humility today. 
As we begin this message on humility, I want to begin by giving and offering a humility inventory, a humility inventory. How are we doing as it relates to cultivating humility in our lives? And I think we need this inventory and various inventories from time to time because it helps us to identify the gaps in our lives where we need the grace of God. And all of us have gaps in our lives where we need the grace of God. And so I want to offer six questions for your own reflection, your own self-examination as we think about cultivating humility, particularly from a, a specific aspect that I wanted to, to talk about it this morning. The first question as we think about our humility is, is when someone gives you feedback, do you close up on the inside? Do you close up on the inside or is there a spaciousness to your soul in which you welcome feedback or do you close up on the inside? That's the first question in this humility inventory. The second question that I want you to ponder is how often do you consider the perspective of others? How often do you consider the perspective of others? The third question in this humility inventory is, when is the last time you invited someone to teach you about a topic? When was the last time you said, you know what, I think I can learn something from you. Can you teach me? Can you guide me? Can you show me? How are we doing so far? We're doing all right? Okay, question number four. When's the last time you changed your mind about an important issue? Something that you thought, you know what, I'm seeing that in a different way. I'm seeing that in a new light. And you know what, as a matter of fact, I am going to recognize that, 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 that putting pineapple on pizza is a bad idea all the time. And so whatever it might be. Uh, question five, how willing are you to admit that you are wrong? Lord, help us. Uh, how willing are you to admit that you are wrong on a matter? Number six. How do you respond when you are corrected? How do you respond when you are corrected? I need an inventory like this because it helps me to see the gaps in my own life. As a matter of fact, a gap that was revealed once again to me last week. Last week, I was washing the dishes, and as I was washing the dishes, I had a wonderful thought, a delightful thought. I thought to myself, I'm doing a really good job being present to my family. I'm doing a really good job being present to my family. I thought about my emotional presence. I thought about my physical presence, my availability. And I thought, you know what? I'm doing a pretty good job being present to my family. And so I decide to take this wonderful thought and call a family meeting uh, to get some affirmation on how present I've been in the house. And so I go, Rosie, darling, uh, kids, come over. Uh, I, I just have a question for you. And Rosie was the first one there. I said, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, uh, 10 being like super present, available, emotionally, all that, 1 being like you're not here, uh, you're not present, uh, where would you say I'd land, scale of 1 to 10? Now, I had a number in my head. That number was 8.5, 8.5. I just knew I'm doing really well with presence. And so I said, honey, what do you think I am uh, on this scale? And she thought about it for a second. And I'm thinking, why are you thinking so long about this? And she said, you know what? I give you a five. I'll give you a five. And I, because she was wrong, I called my daughter Karis. I said, Karis, um, darling, come over here. I got a question for you. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being like super present and super available, uh, where am I on a scale of 1 to 10? And Karis thought about it for a second. I'm thinking, why is she thinking about this for so long? And she said, Dad, I, I give you a 5. I give you a 5. And at that moment, I didn't even call Nathan. I said, I'm not even going to call him. Uh, at that moment, I got super defensive on the inside. And I started justifying all the things I do in this house and all the ways I'm present. And do you see all the things that I'm doing? And I, and I tuck you into bed at night and I say prayers with you. And all of a sudden, my defensiveness got higher and higher and higher. And it caused a lot of tension in the house. That spilled over into the very next day. How could this wonderful, delightful thought lead to so much 
tension in my home. And in a word, it was, I had a lack of humility, a lack of humility to see what they were seeing. And as I thought about my life and thought about the world, I thought if there's one thing among many things that have fractured the world and have brought up tensions in our society and have broken relationships is our lack of humility. Why is the world broken? Why is the world fractured? Why is there so much tension? Why are there so much splits? In a word, it's because there's often a lack of humility. Humility, people call it, is the gateway virtue. That if you can get humility, the rest of the virtues fall into place. But if you do not get humility, you're going to find yourself in some really bad spaces having our relationships fractured. And so what I want to talk about today is what does it mean to cultivate humility from a particular perspective and to talk about humility means we must talk about what it is and what it is not what it is and what is it is not because many of us uh, hold on to uh, ideas of humility that's not actually humility for some of us we view humility as uh, we describe someone who doesn't like the spotlight someone who doesn't like the spotlight and we see someone who's always like in the background and and they don't want the spotlight and we go wow that person is really humble but just because you don't like the spotlight doesn't mean you're humble Amen, somebody. Uh, it, it just means you're shy. It just means you're shy. And there are plenty of shy, not humble people. And so humility is not simply about uh, not wanting the spotlight. Humility is not about being self-deprecating and distancing yourself from the gifts that God has given you. It's often the case that we think the most humble people are the people who are always self-deprecating, the people who don't think highly of themselves, the people who don't name the gifts that they have, and there's often this kind of false humility that surfaces because they're always self-deprecating, which is why whenever I train preachers, I often train preachers that whenever someone gives you a compliment for a sermon that you've given, I say, why don't you just say, Thank you, thank you. When someone says, hey, thank you for that message, or that message really helped, they go, or, or thank you, or, or you're welcome, or what, what resonated, what impacted you, as opposed to saying, it was all God, it was, it, was, it was all God. And the reason I say that is because we have a way of distancing ourselves from our gifts and making it feel like that's humility. I've trained pastors and, and, and students in seminary and in college, and I would give them a, say, that was a great message. And the person says, oh, it was all God. And my response is usually, no, if it was all God, it would have been much better than that, all right? <laughs> oh, it was good. It was a blessing, but it was not all God. Just say thank you, brother. Just say thank you. And so it's often the case that we believe that to be humble is to not be in the spotlight or to be humble is to be self-deprecating. But humility, I, I want to uh, offer to you, is, is not simply about doing a lowly task. Humility is about a life that's committed to the hard task of lowering one's defenses. That's the particular aspect of humility that I want to focus on today. That humility is not simply about doing the lowly task but it's about a life that's committed to the hard task of lowering our defensive. Or said this way, the most humble people are often the people who are least defensive. The most humble people are often the people who are most or at least defensive. And that's what we find in Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is the essence of humility. And in Jesus Christ, we are invited to a way of lowering our defenses and cultivating humility. That's what we see in our text this morning in Philippians chapter 2. I love the book of Philippians because it's a book that's known by its joy. Lots of rejoicing in the book of Philippians. It's a church that Paul is very happy to write to. It's a church that has been a partner to him in the gospel. Paul is writing from prison. He's writing from jail. But even though he's writing from jail, Paul has a lot of joy. And I just love that. And the reason he has a lot of joy is because this group of Christians at this place called Philippi have been very generous towards him. 
They've partnered with him in the gospel. There's lots of good things that Paul tells about this church, but it becomes evident in chapter 2 that this church still had some issues that God wanted to sort out in their community. And no matter how joyful a community is, no matter how much celebration within a community, no matter how good a community, God always has some work to do in our lives. Every church has, God has something to do in our lives. Our congregation is no different. There's lots of work that God needs to do in our lives individually and as a community together. And what we find in Philippians chapter 2, what we can deduce from what we read in Paul is that there were some uh, maybe divisions or disunity that was happening in the church. How do I know this? Well, because in chapter 2, Paul says for them to be united seven times in five verses. United, be united, be united, be united, be united. For Paul to say that seven times in five verses must mean that there was some temptation for the church not to be united. Temptation for the church to be divided on a particular issue. And so even though we only hear one side of the conversation, that is Paul's writing, we can get a sense as to what the context, what was going on in the book of Philippians. For example, a couple of days ago, I came home from a family trip and, and I got to JFK and I saw a guy on his phone. And as he was on his phone, I could not hear the other side of the conversation, but it was clearly evident by what he was saying that I knew what was going on. He was saying, I saw your car, and he started giving the license plate number. You kept going. Basically, what's going on? An uh, Uber driver or someone was supposed to pick this guy up, and the guy kept on driving. And now this guy was left alone with his luggage trying to get picked up. I didn't know what was really happening by just hearing one side of the conversation. I got the fuller picture. That's what's happening with Paul. Paul is saying, be united. We don't know all the specifics about what's happening in this church but the temptation it seems that they're having is to be divided on a particular issue and when I look at the world this is our temptation as well this is our temptation as a body of as a body of Christ here in Queens in New Life Fellowship Church the temptation to be divided the temptation not to have unity of heart and unity of spirit I'm not talking about uniformity where we see everything in the same way and, the, and, the, and all the issues we align with listen I disagree with myself uh, we're going to have lots of disagreement in our community but we can have unity of heart and unity of purpose and unity of love but the temptation before us is disunity the temptation before us is division, which is why New Life Fellowship makes for a beautiful, beautiful church, but our congregation is also a dangerous place. It's beautiful because of our diversity, our generational diversity, our ethnic diversity, our cultural diversity. Because of the great diversity that we have in our congregation, it's beautiful, but it's also a dangerous place because of our generational diversity and our ethnic diversity and our cultural diversity. You get this many different people in a church together. You get this many different people in a small group together. There are challenges and temptations not to be unified in heart and in spirit. And the reason why we often do not have this kind of unity and the reason that we don't have the kind of bond of love that Paul is inviting the church into in Philippians chapter 2 is because we lack humility. And again, what is humility? It's lowering our defenses. The fractures that we experience in our relationships often emerge because of our refusal to lower our defenses. Instead of seeing companions, we see competitors. Instead of seeing people who disagree with us as, as, as people who to be listened to, we see people who disagree with us as threats to be eliminated. And the walls we build are often for one purpose, to protect the false self that we've created. Why do our walls go up? Why do we find ourselves to be very defensive at the sight of criticism, at the sight of disagreement, at the sight of someone seeing something in a different way? Why does this happen? And I think in large part, one of the reasons why our defenses go up, especially when there's conflict between one person and another, is because we have not allowed ourselves to be human. To be human means that we don't know everything. To be human means that we don't see everything very clearly. 
especially about ourselves. To be human means that we need help. And this is why humility is so powerful to, to, to make whole the fractures in our relationships, to make whole the fractures in your marriage, to make whole the fractures in your friendships. Because humility does a few things in us if we allow it to. If we allow God to do in us what God wants to do through us and in us in, fa in fashioning humility in us, humility does something in us because humility creates curiosity. It creates curiosity. And the world finds itself very fractured because of a lack of curiosity. Humility enables us to live with great freedom. The freedom from having to be perfect. The freedom from having to know it all. The freedom from having to be it all. The freedom from having to hold everything together. Humility is the ability to say, I don't see everything the way I think I do. I don't see God the way that I often think I do. I don't see the world. I don't see myself. Therefore, I need help. That we all have blind spots. Now, I love uh, these new cars that are out that have on the side view mirror uh, uh, an indicator that goes up to remind you or let you know that you have a blind spot, that your side view mirror is not picking up, that there is a car right next to you. Now there's a light that goes on that reminds you, oh, no, there's a car. Be careful if you're going to go into the next lane that we all have blind spots. And the, and the community, the body of Christ, is to be in for each other, a place where our blind spots come to, to the light, where we're able to help one another grow into maturity. But humility is important in order to cultivate that. Humility says, I recognize that my perspective is limited. Can you help me see? Humility says... I don't know it all. Can you give me your perspective? And imagine if our relationships were characterized in this way. Imagine if your boss came up to you and said, listen, is there any way that you can help me to be a better supervisor? You'll say, what? You know God is moving in your, in your office. <laughs> imagine if your, if your husband said, hey, uh, is there any way that I could be a better husband? Your wife said, can you let me know if there's any way? I, I want to love you well. Let me know if there's any way that I could be a better wife. Imagine if, 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 if a parent said to their child, uh, I, I want to be a better parent. Can you help me? Help me to be a better parent to you. Imagine if your child uh, you said, you, you know, mom, dad, can you help me be? You go, wow, the spirit of the living God is in this place right now. Could you imagine if when we receive the perspective from another person, criticism from another person, even uh, constructive feedback from another person, that our defenses don't go up, but we remain curious. And this is hard for us. This is hard, especially when we receive correction of some type or feedback of some type. Some of the reasons why this is hard for us, uh, and I don't have time to go into all of this, but sometimes it's hard to receive correction because frankly, people don't know how to give it, okay? And so, which is why, please take the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course. We offer it every year. Uh, please take it the next time because there is a way of giving feedback and correction that leads towards wholeness and leads towards goodness and ways of giving correction that tear people down. But one of the reasons we don't like it is because uh, we just, uh, people just don't know how to give it. Other reasons we don't like it, however, is because We've, been grow we've grown up in an environment of perfectionism that to have any of our gaps exposed crushes us. It reveals the shame that we carry. One of our new lifers mentioned one day to me, he said he has a wonderful acronym for shame. What does shame mean? Uh, shame uh, says, uh, still haven't already mastered everything. That's what shame is. Still haven't already mastered everything. And, I, and I, I remember him saying that, go, yeah, 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 that's where shame often, I haven't mastered this aspect of my life, so when my gaps are revealed, it crushes me, it crushes me. But quite frankly, we don't like to receive correction because it exposes something in us, our vulnerabilities, our weaknesses. 
When I wrote my, wrote my first book, I, I remember writing, I, I, I put 60,000 words together and I had a few people read it and they said, wow, this is great. And I said, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I said, now it's time to go to my editor. And so I sent my 60,000 words to my editor and in my mind, I was thinking she was gonna read the manuscript and go, wow, I've never seen anything like this before. No corrections at all. Congratulations, Rich. We'll be publishing this in a little bit. That's what I was expecting, okay? And then I got the email with her corrections. And first I noticed that she had about four or five paragraphs of just, she was prefacing some things before she got to the real stuff. And by the time I got to the second paragraph, Rosie will attest to this. I said, I was already in a place where my soul was so fragile that I said, Rosie, can you sit next to me and hold my hand as I read this here? And she sat next to me and held my hand as I read through every, every paragraph of this can be changed and this can be improved and this thing here. And she just held my hand. And it wasn't that these words were mean and, 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 and condescend. They were very encouraging words, but something was exposed in me. My gaps, my vulnerabilities, it is hard. And yet in that moment, I had a decision to make. Is my sense of identity built up and torn down by the words of people? Or is my sense of identity rooted in the love of God as expressed in Jesus Christ? And that's the question that we must wrestle with every single day. Where do we find our identity? Is our sense of well-being based on what you say about me or don't say about me or is it found in the love of God? And may we be people who root ourselves in the love of God, in the grace of God, so that we have a strong enough self where we can be curious before one another. Humility creates a curiosity. But what we also find in this passage, how do our relationships and our world move towards wholeness? It does so because humility seeks to serve love not our egos. And this is what makes humility very difficult. Humility serves love, not our egos. For the humble person, the goal is not being right and you wrong. The goal is love. The goal is mutuality. The goal is understanding. The goal is incarnation, stepping into the world of someone else. Humility is to serve love not serve our egos. And this is what we find in Jesus Christ, that humility is for the purpose of serving neighbor. Humility is for the purpose of love. And no one has exemplified this more than our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul is getting at in verse six. In verse six, what we find is what scholars call the Christ him. It's a, it's, an, it's a song of the early church that spoke about the identity, the humanity, the divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ and the path that he took towards rescuing us, saving us, redeeming us. It's a path of humility. And in verse 6, what we find is some incredible language where Paul says that Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, something to be used for his own advantage. But he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Look at this. Our Lord Jesus Christ comes with nothing to prove, nothing to protect, nothing to possess. Our Lord Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, does not need to prove anything to anyone. He comes in as vulnerable. He comes in as humble. He comes in with nothing to prove, protect, or possess, and his humility makes him utterly free. And that's what we're called to as well. And what Paul is doing here is he's letting us know actually what true godliness is in this passage. 
And I want to show you something. Uh, I hope it doesn't get too technical, but it's based on one word because what Paul is saying here is connected to that word being. Being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself and became a servant. There's two ways of understanding the word being, two ways of seeing it. One way of seeing the word being is, is it could be translated, although he's in the very nature of God, he became a servant. Which is to say that although he is mighty and although he is powerful, he put that to the side and Jesus became a servant. That's one way of understanding it. But there's another way. There's a New Testament scholar by the name of Michael Gorman who said that that word being can better to be translated because, not although. Hear the difference. It's not simply although he is God, he became a servant. It is because he is God. He became a servant, which is to say this. Humility is not the opposite of divinity. Humility is the expression of divinity. That is, if you want to be like God, we must grow in humility because God is the humble one. This is what makes Christianity so staggering. Christianity presents a God before us who, yes, is almighty, all-knowing, always, everywhere at the same time. All the virtues and attributes that we, we talk about God, God is omnipresent, God is omniscient, God is omnipotent. But what makes Christianity a scandal is that God is revealed as the most humble. God is the, most, the one who characterizes humility. And the expression of divinity is found in humility. And so Paul says, you want to be like God, be like Jesus. Because Jesus characterizes humility. But beyond that, Paul lets us know in this passage here that it is humility that creates unity. The fractures in our relationships are healed through humility. The struggles in our marriages and in our friendships are healed in humility. Imagine with me a world that's marked by this kind of humility. Imagine your family, imagine our church just cultivating this virtue of humility. Imagine you being the kind of person who when you are approached by someone else who, who might have something to say or is upset with you about something or disagrees with you on a topic that you don't get defensive. Imagine if there was curiosity and openness. I'm reminded of something I saw from our founding pastor, Pastor Pete. Uh, when Pastor Pete was the, the senior pastor here, uh, he'd be in the lobby area after services in the same way that our pastoral team is down there after the services. And I would often sit, stand next to him as we're greeting people. And one of the things that I loved back then was that if someone was upset about uh, anything, they went to Pete. Uh, and so uh, now they go to me. Uh, and so I, I, I really enjoyed... Uh, not being the person. And so I remember lots of people throughout the years that I would stand next to Pete uh, would be upset with him about something. And some people would say it in a kind tone. Some people not so kind. Some people would come up to him. And Pete had a phrase uh, that it was kind of like this Jedi mind trick that he would use. <laughs> That's the only way I can explain it, because it disarmed the person in such a way. They would say, when you said this, I really didn't like it, and, and you made this decision and all that. And, and I'm thinking, wow, he's talking this way? I, get him, Pete. You know, just let, let him have it. This is me next. Let him have it, man. Let him have it. And Pete would say, tell me more. And the person would be like, I don't, I don't understand. What do you, what do you mean? He would, you know, tell, tell me more. And I, and I can't tell you how many times he would say, tell me more. And what I, when I, what I saw in that was someone who had a solid self. What I saw in that was someone who knew where his identity was. It was in God, not in the opinions and in the disagreements of other people. Imagine if when criticized, your initial response is, tell me more. Help me to see. We need the grace of God, brothers and sisters. And yet, imagine if our world was marked by this kind of humility and curiosity. This is something that I have struggled with on a regular basis. This is something that I've had to learn over the years at New Life. I remember, and I've seen my own growth in this process and all the ways that I have to grow. 
In 2008, when Rosie and I came to New Life, we were part of a small group. And in the small group, we learned a skill called climbing the ladder of integrity. Many of you know what this uh, exercise is from emotionally healthy relationships. And so we had to have identify a particular issue and name a value that's being violated. And so Rosie had to name a value that to her was being violated, and I had to listen with curiosity and humility to have a conversation about how to negotiate our differences. Are you with me so far? And so Rosie, her, her value that was violated was, every time I shave, I, I, don't, I leave hair on the sink there. I leave hair on the sink. I know this doesn't happen in your house, but uh, uh, this. And so her value was, I value a clean sink in the bathroom after you shave. And I never forgot the first time she said that to me. She just named a value. I noticed that after you shave, that you leave hair still on the sink. And my response was not, tell me more, tell me more. <laughs> my response was, do you know what you do? Let me tell you what you do. Should we bring it up now in front of everybody else? What do you do? Some of you know what I'm talking about here. Just... And yet I've learned in a very hard way that it is curiosity and humility and not protecting an idealized version of myself that leads to wholeness, that leads to healing. But what we have to learn, the question is, how do we get here? How do we come to a place where this can become our reality? And I think we find something in this text that's, number one, helpful, and something that we don't see specifically, but I want to highlight. Humility, first of all, happens and grows in us because it is, this, it is a decision that we make over and over and over again. I wish I have come to a place of enlightenment where I don't have to wrestle with this. As a matter of fact, in our first service, our eldest new lifer, uh, new lifer by the name of Ruth, she, turned, she turns 99 on Wednesday, and, and I saw her after the first service, and I said, have you mastered humility yet, Ruth? And she said, not even close, not even close. I said, there's no hope for anyone there. This is, we're all in trouble. But humility is a decision we make over and over again. Look at the Lord Jesus Christ. He chooses this. He chooses this. It says that he made himself nothing. He humbled himself. He became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Over and over, our Lord Jesus Christ chose it. And we are invited every single day in his strength and in his power to choose it over and over and over again. And this can only come, brothers and sisters, when we are secure in the love of God. It is the love of God that makes ourselves so secure that we are not lifted up by the praise of others and we're not torn down by the criticism of others. That our identity is rooted in a deeper place. Our identity is rooted in the love of God. But I want to say something to normalize your experience as I close and give you good news about our own future. In order to do this, I want to let you know that it will cost you. It is a death to do this. I wish I got to the point where I'm never triggered and I just receive everything all really well. I made some progress, but it is a death every time. That's what humility is, and I'll show it to you in this passage because in verse eight, it says, he humbled himself being by becoming obedient to the point of death. And that's what humility is. It is a death. It doesn't feel good. We, the world doesn't choose this. This is the narrow path of Jesus Christ. That's the hard news. It's death. Here's the good news. It always leads to life. The same Jesus who chose humility, the same Jesus who dies a crucified death, is the same Jesus who's raised up into newness of life. And this is the promise that God offers you. Yes, it's painful. Yes, it's like a crucifixion. 
Yes, it is a death, but if you give God your humility, if you give God your very life, there is newness of life that awaits you. There's newness of life that awaits your marriage. Do you know that? There's newness of life that awaits your friendships. There's newness of life that awaits our community, our city, our world, our nation. But it is a crucifixion. It is a death. But be of good cheer. God doesn't leave us there. And the same way that God did not leave Jesus Christ in that tomb, but raised him up into newness of life, God says, if you give me your life, and surrender to me your humility, I'll raise you up as well. And I'll raise your family up. And your friendships up. And your relationships up. But make no mistake about it, this is a death, but a death that leads to life. And so here's the question today. Where is God calling you to lower your defenses? Where is God calling you to live a life where you don't have to prove anything or protect anything or possess anything, but you can live freely in his love, freely as a calm presence before each other, freely as curious people longing to listen to the perspective of others to lead us to the place of love? Where do you need to lower your defenses? And with that question, I want to give you just a minute of your own reflection before we sing in response let me invite you to close your eyes for a moment. If you're watching online, let me invite you to close your eyes for a moment as well. Because all of us need to do this work. So many of our tensions emerge because of the walls that we have erected, because of shame and fear and pride. And yet our Lord Jesus Christ invites us to a way of being marked by humility, a way that leads to true life and abundance and joy and peace. Where do you need to lower your defenses today? With whom do you need to lower your defenses with today? Lord Jesus, we confess of all the ways that we have built up walls and all the defensiveness that we carry reveals that there's still areas in our lives that need to be healed. Still areas in our lives that need your salvation and rescue. And so, Lord Jesus, we confess our sins and invite you through the power of your spirit to free us. May we be a church marked by humility. May our families be marked by humility, our relationships marked by humility, a humility that confounds the world, a humility that leads to resurrection. And so, Holy Spirit, do in us what we cannot do in ourselves. Do through us what we cannot do through ourselves. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's sing in response together. Yeah. 
to come to my right as I want to give us a moment to respond in receiving prayer here's the interesting thing about humility humility is perhaps uh, the only virtue uh, that once you believe you have it you've actually lost it if you say to someone I'm feeling great compassion. We go, well, praise God. You say, I'm feeling really generous these days. We go, well, God, is that work in your life? You say, I'm feeling really humble. We go, now, wait a second. (laughs) Because once you claim to have it, you actually show that you don't. And so the goal of humility is not to seek it. The goal of humility is to seek Jesus. And allow him to do the transforming work in our soul. We don't seek humility for the sake of being humble. We seek our Lord Jesus Christ. And say, Lord, as we behold you in your humility, may we become like you. As we behold your beauty, as we behold your servanthood, may the Spirit do the same in us. We achieve it by beholding him. And so we have our prayer team here. Listen, I imagine that in this church, watching online, those of you watching online, that there's been a lot of tensions in our relationships between one another and our congregation, in your own homes, because the walls of defensiveness rise up very quickly. And again, whenever the walls rise up, what it reveals is there's still healing work that the Lord wants to do in us. And so maybe you came here today and you've been super defensive. Uh, Something, whenever someone gives you a little bit of feedback, something is touched in your soul that crushes you. And what the Lord is saying is, there's some work I want to do in your heart. 
And so our prayer team is here for whatever need you have, whatever struggle you're carrying this day, whatever uh, place in your life where you recognize, I need the healing touch of God. Uh, let us pray for you and anoint you with oil and remind you that God's spirit is with you and can empower you to live in freedom. Maybe you came into church today. Maybe you're watching online as well. I want to offer another invitation, not simply just to come forward, but maybe some of you, you've been pondering this for a while or maybe it's hit you today that you've been trying to live your life in your own way and it's just not producing the kind of life and joy and peace that you're longing for. And yet today, there's an invitation to follow Jesus Christ. There's a God who loves you with an everlasting love, a God who longs to forgive you, a God who longs to heal you, a God who invites you into relationship. And maybe today you're tired of building up those walls and you're tired of living in your own bondage and you're longing for wholeness and freedom. Can we invite you to turn to Jesus? Can I invite you to follow him? And there are one or two ways that you can take that next step. You can come to our prayer team and we'd love to pray for you and help you take your next step. You can also uh, scan that QR code and, and let us help you take the next step, talking to one of our pastors, one of our leaders, to figure out what it might mean to follow Jesus. And maybe there's some of you in this room or watching online that you, maybe you have made a decision for Jesus, but you haven't taken the next step of being baptized, of identifying with Christ in his death and in his resurrection, which is a sign of obedience for those who belong to Jesus. And maybe today you're saying, I'm ready to take that next step, or at least learn uh, what that's all about. And so feel free to talk to one of us or scan that QR code so that we can serve you along those lines. At the end of the service, we have a sermon discussion time, so uh, feel free to click on that link. We don't have the after church study today. That will return uh, next week as we do it every other week, but there's a sermon discussion time, especially for those of you watching online. Feel free to click on that, and one of our pastors would love to have a conversation with you for 30 minutes or so. But as we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven in a posture of receiving. And this posture is basically saying there's nothing to protect, nothing to prove, uh, nothing to possess. And may our Lord Jesus Christ lead us into that kind of interior freedom that heals the visions, the freedom that makes us whole, the freedom that creates unity among us in his name. And so with your hands in your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, of the living God. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building and out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit with nothing to protect, nothing to prove, nothing to possess. May you live in the love of God and may you offer that love to the world around you. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Grace and peace to you all.